Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. That we might behold wondrous things coming out of your word. Saturate us with your spirit. Consume us with your power. Release your fire that burns the chaff, that causes us to turn aside May your people everywhere turn aside as your servant Moses did. May the cares of this life be consumed by power. May every anxiety cease. May every head that's hung low be lifted up because of the fiery presence of the true and living God. Make your abode with us today. Sup with your people today. Speak a word that we understand that is sufficient for this season. God, there were seasons in the life of your people Israel where they did not have the true God because there were no teaching priests. God, raise up a teaching priest in this place today. In the name of Jesus, speak clearly in a language that everyone will understand. Thank you for your fire. Thank you for your consuming fire. And now may we, your people, be on the threshing floor where the wheat falls and the chaff burns up. God, meet us on the threshing floor. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for this remembrance of Pentecost. God, we, we want it to fully come. We need it to fully come to take care of all the problems in the world. When Pentecost fully comes, there's a shift. There's a shaking. There's a change. There's a sound from heaven. Let a sound from heaven go out today. In the name of Jesus, not just from this place, but every place where the remnant is gathered, let a sound go out. Release a sound in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for the stirring that we already feel. We thank you for the worship. And God, now, let your fire consume us. Our God is a consuming fire. Bless us now and make us a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Right where you are in your homes, you ought to give God a praise. You ought to give God a praise. If you feel the warmth of his presence, you ought to lift your hands right where you are. You might be in the kitchen. You might be in your living room, but you ought to give God some praise because he's here. Even though we're in different places, he allowed us to gather, gather on one live stream. There's something about one. Don't let the devil fool you. Because we're not in the same building doesn't mean we can't be one. We're one in the spirit. We're baptized into the same spirit. We're under one blood. There's one faith and one baptism. We are one no matter where you are. Let the Spirit of God move. I pray that your whole house would be consumed by his fire today. 
So grateful to God to be here and to break the bread of life and to talk to you today on a subject. When Pentecost fully comes. When Pentecost fully comes. When Pentecost fully comes, it doesn't just stop in Toronto or Pensacola or Topeka, Kansas or on Azusa Street in LA, but the whole world is consumed by that fire. And I, I wanna walk through the scripture with you today to bring the old and the new together so that we can see the plan of God. And I pray that God would reveal to all of us his thoughts for this generation and what is to come, the promise of God that belongs to us and our children. We're gonna begin in the book of Genesis. We're gonna begin in the beginning and we're gonna to go to the 11th chapter. Verse one reads, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. The whole earth had one language and one speech. Why wasn't it enough just to have one language? Why did it have to be written that it's one language and one speech? You know this as well as I. We can speak the same language, have the same speech, but our language is different. There are people who speak English and you can have a conversation with them because of colloquialism and not understand what they're saying. You understand their language, but you don't understand their speech. Sometimes you understand their speech and not their language. You can go to different parts of this country and because of what the meanings are via colloquialism, it may mean something different to you or maybe nothing at all. If you go to the place, the land where English was originated, they say our English is bad, we say their English is bad. They have sayings that we have no idea what they're talking about. So this text lets us know that the whole earth had one language and one speech, meaning they had understanding. There was harmony. There was effective communication. One language and one speech. And then something happened. This was the design of God. This was God's intention, which he began when he created Adam and Eve and put them in a garden and gave them everything they needed. But then something happened. They listened to another voice. They listened to the voice of one that wasn't the voice of God and they fell and took all of humanity with them. And so God, in order to bring his original plan to pass, he baptized the earth in water. The whole earth was baptized. It was underwater and ate souls. 
survived, and God told them to be fruitful and multiply. The same command that he gave to Adam and Eve, he now gave to Noah and his wife and their sons and their wives. So now God is doing it over. He baptized them with water. But that generation still had a problem. I want you to know baptism isn't enough. Water is the beginning, but you got to have fire. Let, let me wait to get to the fire because if I start a fire now, we're not going to get through the text. But God baptized the whole earth with water, and he still had to do some stuff to work in them. And then came the fire. But let's, let's look a little further. Let's go to the sixth verse of this same 11th chapter of Genesis. And we're going to read verses 6 through 9. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. And they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. In other words, God said they have power. Nothing is impossible. They're one, and this is what they want to do with their oneness? Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down. The Godhead is having a conversation. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language. God knew that if their language was confused, there's nothing they can do. That's why so much confusion is sold today. I want, I want you to know something. The devil is an imitator of God. God had a purpose for doing this, which we will see as we go through the text. The devil has a purpose. It's to keep, to sow confusion, to sow confusion. We'll see what happens after the fire so that we know how to avoid confusion that they may not understand one another's speech. Mm. You can talk, you can speak, and yet there's no understanding. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So we see at this place called Babel, where the people sought to build the tower up to the heavens. They were doing their own thing and like the serpent that caused Adam and Eve to fall. Now these people, under the leadership of a king called Nimrod, wanted power. They, wasn't, they weren't satisfied with dominion over the earth. They said, we're going to build a tower up to heaven. And they realized that because we're one, and because we have perfect understanding of each other, there's nothing that we can't do. The blessing that came out of the scattering, so there, that's when the scattering first began. Everybody was together in one place, on one accord. They spoke with one language. They spoke with one speech. There was only one culture in all the earth. And God said, you're doing the wrong thing with this power. 
You don't understand how power is supposed to work. You haven't sought me in this, so I've got to scatter you. And nations were birthed. Cultures were birthed. All of the things that we know today in our society happened at Babel. And Babel means confusion. It went from understanding to confusion. And the confusion wasn't good, so people all went their own way. They took their tents and they went to the east, to the west, to the north, and to the south. And there's nothing in the earth at that time but confusion. A ball of confusion. All the languages came out of Babel. And I thought, as I looked at this text, how in the world do we recover from that as humanity? How in the world do we go from everybody understanding and knowing how to communicate to no one understanding their neighbor? In your own house, in your own family, you can't communicate. No one. How does stuff get done? With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. He had a plan from the beginning. God began to scan the earth. And he looked at in a place called Mesopotamia. And he saw he was looking for one person who would obey his voice. God don't need a whole lot of folk to change things, to shift the atmosphere. He just needs one who will obey him. And so he looked in a certain family, and he looked down generations, not too many generations removed from Noah. But there was a man by the name of Abram who was in Mesopotamia. His father was Terah, and his father was Haran. God looked past Haran. He looked past Terah, and he looked to Abram, and he told Abram to leave your father's house and go to a place that I'm going to show you. Abram left on the promise of God. God told him, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. The concept of a nation didn't even exist. Imagine someone obeying the voice of God when they don't understand what he's saying. I'm talking to somebody. Sometimes God will ask things of us that don't make sense. He, it's just a test. He wants to know that you trust him. Abraham said yes before he knew what he was saying yes to. All he knew was this God is compelling me. This God, this voice sounds so true. It's so pure. I've got to follow him wherever he leads. Somebody say, where he leads, I will follow. And Abram got up, and the first act of sanctification happened. He separated him from his family and, and from the confusion. In Genesis 22 and 18, God makes this promise to Abram. He said, in, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. 
I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless everybody in the na all the nations, not just those who were in Abraham's time, but everyone who comes forth from the womb. This is a perpetual. The promises of God are forever. They are yes and amen. And he said, because you, one man, obeyed me, I'm going to bless all the nations. The concept of a nation didn't, I'm sure, Abram could not have fully understood because everybody was in one place. His family now is traveling east. Everybody's confused. Nobody understands the other person, but God was able to break through that confusion and speak to a man who obeyed him. And out of that, he allowed for the day of Pentecost to fully come. Because in Abram, he brought forth Isaac. And in Isaac, he brought forth Jacob. And from Jacob, he brought forth 12. And the fourth was Judah. And Judah is praise, represents praise. And out of Judah, he brought a king by the name of David. And out of that same Judah, he brought Jesus, who is the Christ. And that's the seed that God used to bless the world. It doesn't say seeds as pl pl plural. It says out of your seed, one. There's something about one. We can't talk about it today, but the most powerful number in the book, in the Bible, is one. The Lord our God is one. God took one seed and blessed the whole earth. That's why he wants us to be on one accord. He wants his church to be one because there's power in one. Even people whose hearts were evil, they saw the power in one. God saw the power and said, we got to go down and confuse them because nothing will be withheld from them if they remain one. So I'm going down to scatter them and to make them many. But God is the God of restoration. I'm so glad that he can restore that which the locusts and the canker worms and the palmer worms and the caterpillar has devoured. Get ready for restoration. Let's now go to the new. After we laid the foundation from the beginning so that we can understand the whole counsel of God and his plan. Now we go to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Beginning at verse 1, it says, When the day, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. So Luke is telling us about the day that it came. We're talking about when Pentecost fully comes. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Here's a question. Who were they all? We know it was 120. Those were the ones described as all in the upper room. But Pentecost has two parts, and it's evident in the scripture. The first is Jesus, after his resurrection, was with his disciples for 40 days. 40 in scripture represents testing. 
He was teaching them, he was encouraging them, he was opening up the scripture, but it was a test. Who, just like Abraham, God said, I bless you because you obeyed my voice. God is looking for somebody to obey his voice. Jesus had more than 500 who were with him over those 40 days, but 120 went to the upper room. Where were the other 380 plus? They had something more important to do. They were doing other work for God other than what God told them to do. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father? Jesus said, after the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, you shall have power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. If you want to be his witness, you got to have power. You got to have power that comes from God. That allows your witness to be true. There's something about a witness that's powerful, but there's something about a credible, a credible witness that's more powerful, even in our court systems. Till this day, we use witnesses as a turning point. And there are some witnesses that have no credibility. They don't strengthen your case, they weaken it. But a credible witness can turn a case in one direction or another. Jesus is saying, I want you to be credible witnesses for the kingdom. You need to go and wait for the promise of the Father. 120 of them went and waited. They passed the test. 40 is the number of testing. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he was tempted by the devil. The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. There are many more examples. You know them. 40 is the number of testing. Noah, in the days of Noah, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. 40 is the number of testing. And the people in the days of Noah had 120 years to repent, but they didn't. But they didn't. Now, what's the 10? 40 plus 10 is 50. Pentecost means 50. 10 represents power and it represents strength. Power. Jesus said, you go wait. After 40 days with him, they went to the upper room. And 10 days later, they received power. They received power. I wonder what the other 380 thought when they saw the power of God upon them. I want you to know, you've got to be obedient to God in order to receive what God has for you. Your life might be nice, but you'll never have the power of God without obedience to the word of God. Those who went and waited, like Jesus said, were the ones, when, when, the full, when it fully came, when Pentecost fully came, they were in one place and on one accord. Let's go a little bit further. Next verse. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven. We need a sound from heaven. We had enough earthly sounds. As of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Let's go to the next verse. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, 
and one sat upon each of them. Let's, let's wait, go right here for a minute. Let's keep reading and then we'll go back. Keep going. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It is important to note that when we speak the language of the Spirit, there is understanding. There was confusion at Babel. There was Babel. Everyone was confused. No one understood each other. But the utterance of the Spirit causes a gathering. There's, there is speech that causes scattering and discord. But there is a speech of the Spirit that causes gathering and accord. The cord of discord is sown amongst confusion. God is not the author of confusion. He is not the author of confusion. And one of the things God said to me this morning before I got up is that the utterance of my people ought to be the utterance of the Spirit because when you utter the things of the Spirit, there's understanding. People who are used to things being confused are confused by the clarity. The clarity will confuse them because they've lived in a world their whole life of Babel. They've lived in the world of Babel, but now they've come to a place where God has restored. God has restored oneness. It was his design from the beginning for us to be one. But first Adam fell, and then he baptized the earth with water, and then that generation fell. And then his plan had to go through one man in Mesopotamia and through generations to get to the point that that day, that Pentecost fully came, there was a shift, a shift that caused people to understand one another who weren't supposed to understand one another. I believe that a day is coming in our generation, beloved, where people have, who have misunderstandings are going to begin to understand each other again because of the utterance of the Spirit, because somebody is going to obey the voice of God and in the body of Christ, we will be one. Out of that scattering, many nations and many languages came forth. Today, known languages in the earth are 6,500, 6,500 different tongues and languages that all came out of Babel. I, I do some, uh, have some interaction with the American Bible Society and their goal is to reach the top languages, 1,600. That means 3,400 of known languages are not reached and the way they do it is they want every people group whose tongue or language has more than 100,000 people. That's the threshold. So that tells you that there are a lot of people groups that are less than 100,000. And in my research, I was astounded. And I got to understand the way Jesus worked just a little bit better, why he told the parable 
of the Good Samaritan to people who despise Samaritans. Why he went to the woman at the well. He was going somewhere else, and the Bible said he must need go to Samaria. Something happens when the day of Pentecost comes. It shifts things. Why, when he talked about the promise of the Father, he included Samaria? Because he knew his word had to get there. Today, today, according to the most recent census, there are 250, 250 Samaritans on the face of the earth. So nobody is looking to translate in their language. They're far from the 100,000, but Jesus cared enough about them that he would go to one. That's how much he cares about you and he cares about me. He'll go to the ends of the earth to get one. He'll also convince those who, are, who look down on you, who marginalize you, as the Jews did in that day, and call you good. The good Samaritan. God wants you to know your value. And when the day of Pentecost fully comes, you'll understand your worth. You'll understand your value. People who put you down will all of a sudden lift you up. There's something about Pentecost that brings us together. It takes those who've been scattered and gathers them. That which has been scattered abroad is about to be gathered. God is gathering. This is a, time, a season of gathering. When Pentecost fully comes, there's gathering, there's understanding, confusion is cast out. The utterance changes. The other thing I see in that text, it says they were all filled with the Spirit. Every one of them who was obedient, everyone who obeyed, everyone that was where God told them to go, and they were there when he told them to be there, and they waited until something happened. Every one of them was filled with the Spirit. When, when the Bible says filled with the Spirit, it means filled, it's full. There's no room for any other spirits. Every other spirit that was in them had to go because there was only room for the Spirit of God filled their cup. There was no room for a familiar spirit. There was no room for a whoremongering spirit. None of those things could stay. There was nothing but the Spirit of God. And when that happened, they were gathered again. They understood. They had harmony. And people who were supposed to be different heard them differently. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, people hear you differently because what you utter and what comes out of your mouth is by the Spirit of the living God. It's not about, I'm not talking about unknown tongues. I'm talking about tongues that people understand. I'm talking about a reversal of Babel, going from Babel to Pentecost. There's a difference between Babel and Pentecost. One, people are confused. And the other, people understand. They understand people who they didn't understand before. And with, at Babel, they're scattered. At Pentecost, they gather. People gather. And God is saying, every generation, every generation, this promise is to you and to your children. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. But being filled with the Spirit is how the power of God is released in our utterance. In our utterance, the word that comes out of our mouths. Here's something. 
that I can tell you with great confidence, beloved, when you or I give utterance and it causes confusion, and I'll explain the confusion more when we get to the text, among the, the, the body of Christ, the source of that utterance cannot be the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God, when we're all in one accord and in one place, we are now in the place of Pentecost, not in the place of Babel, where confusion broke out and a lack of understanding broke out. So then we need to check ourselves and our language to make certain that what I utter gathers and doesn't scatter. Now, I'm talking about of the people who were in the upper room together. So I'm talking about the body of Christ here. Now, there's a Pentecost, a part of Pentecost that breaks out, and we're going to talk about that. But the breakout comes to deliver, to save, and to convert. The gathering of, of those are for them to receive the promise, but they need to know what the promise was. But there were 500 who Jesus told them the promise of the Father, and only 120 showed up. I would to God that in our generation, everybody who knows the promise would believe God and go and do what God says do so that the power of God can fall and Pentecost can fully come so that we pass the test as a generation and so that we receive power as a generation so that the 50th day in the spirit can come and consume the whole earth. God is looking for somebody. God, he's not looking in Mesopotamia today. He's looking in Philadelphia. He's looking across the earth, searching for somebody who would be a repairer of the breach, who would be a restorer because he's a God of restoration and all he needs is somebody to obey him and he's ready to release his power, fire, fire, fire fell upon them, divided tongues as of fire. John, the forerunner, said this, you, I baptize you with water, but the one who comes after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. The earth was baptized with water. God's going to baptize it with fire. The whole earth is going to be baptized with fire. John gave that part of the promise. When the Holy Spirit comes, it comes with power and it comes with fire. Jesus told them after it comes, comes upon you, you shall have power. John the forerunner said, the one who's coming after me. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with fire. When Jesus got up out of the water, the dove ascended. And God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And it was the dove that we know, pure and white. But when Pentecost fully comes, the dove that comes down is going to be a dove of fire. Fire from heaven. The sound from heaven comes with fire. And that dove is not going to be the international bird of peace that we know. It's going to be the prince of peace. The fire of the Holy Ghost. When it comes, it will consume the whole earth. Just as the earth was baptized, this fire 
this consuming fire. And I'm not talking about destruction. I'm talking about salvation. I'm talking about the fire that Moses saw and saw it as a mystery. He said, this fire is burning, but it's not consuming. That's the fire that I'm talking about. That's the fire that we need in the church. That's the fire that we need in the world because we can't do what God wants us to do. His purpose can only be accomplished when we're gathered. The scattering changes everything, but the gathering refocuses, it restores, it redeems, it resets God's original plan. And I believe that our generation has a role and a part to play, and that a sound from heaven is gonna break out. We've had enough earthly sounds. A sound from heaven is gonna break out, and when it does, here's what happens. Acts 2, 5 through 13, we're gonna read. And there were dwell dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, from every nation under earth. Remember, nations were birthed at Babel because God scattered them. Nations and cultures came out of that. Everybody had one language, one tongue, one culture. They dwelt together, and because they used their power to do something that wasn't the will of God, God scattered them. But now God is gathering, but the enemy doesn't want us to be one because he knows when we're one in the purposes of God, we can't be stopped. When we are one in the purposes of God, we can't be stopped. God won't scatter us then. He gathers us and he's the wind beneath our wings. He fights for us. So what the enemy wants to do is to confuse us. And so when you think about it, in this country of the United States of America, there are 380,000 churches, countless denominations. In the world, in the world, there are millions of churches, 37 million different churches. And when you look at all the doctrines, there are 34 million. There are diverse doctrines. But God sent his son so that we would no longer be tossed to and fro with diverse doctrines, that we would continue as the early church did in the doctrine of the apostles. But there have been people who've come in generations who think they know better and they want to add light to the light that shines brighter than the noonday sun. But God is gathering his people and bringing us to a place where Pentecost can fully come. Every generation is tested. Some generations wander for 40 years and they don't get the power that comes with the 10 that follows. I would to God that he would begin to work in us beginning today, that everywhere, everywhere across the nation, across every land, somebody is communicating the plan of God, the will of God for our generation that the day of Pentecost, that day, can fully come in our generation. Let's go a little bit further and continue to unpack this. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together. See, that's a gathering. 
and were confused. We'll come back. They came together and they were confused. Why were they confused? Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Let me tell you something. Keep that verse up. Let me tell you something. When my way of life becomes right in my own eyes, when the, when the right way to do things come, it's confusing. I'm confused because you're not supposed to understand me. I'm not supposed to understand you. We're not supposed to get along. We're different. I, this, this doesn't make sense. You are, you are who you are, and you're speaking in a language that I understand. They, they are accustomed to babble. The world is accustomed to babble. And we function in Babel. But when we come together after the Spirit of God and the fire of God has fell, for those who weren't in that room, it confused them. But I want you to know something. I got the good news. The 120 who were in that room, they weren't confused. They weren't, they had no doubt. You think I'm drunk of new wine. This isn't new wine. I'm filled with the Spirit because you when you're filled with wine, you do stuff that's confusing. I'm filled with the Spirit. This is the Spirit of God. There ought not be no confusion among the people of God. How many? How many can identify with the 120? Wherever you are, you lift your hands. God sees you. Confusion. When God does something, the people who are confused are the people who don't know God. That's why God does it, to get their attention and to draw them in, the multitude, they heard a sound. They were confused. They were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. You would think they would rejoice because of that. My culture has an impact. Everybody knows my language. When people, when nations conquer other nations, the first thing they do is inject their culture. And you have to speak their language. You have to speak their language. That's what colonization is about. The French come in to Canada or parts of Africa, guess what language you're going to speak? French. America comes and plants their flag in every school. You're going to speak English. That's the way of Babel. That's nation's way, the nation's way of undoing Babel. But it doesn't undo it. It's still confused because now there's two. I was talking to a person in Canada last week and he said it's really confusing because they teach in French and in my house we don't speak French every day so my daughter's in school she's struggling she's now having to learn French there's a struggle when you halt between two opinions there's a struggle but what God wants to do when Pentecost fully comes he wants his people to be clear and to speak a language that other people understand, it might confuse them because they think that you are supposed to be at odds with them. They think you're supposed to have an opposing position. When the day of Pentecost comes, liberals and conservatives can agree. Black and white can walk together. Though Jew and Gentile can agree. When the day of Pentecost fully comes because you realize it's not about all this stuff that's passing. This sound came from heaven and that causes a shift. God let that shift happen in our generation. Let's go a little bit further. Let's go to verse 7. 
Then they were all amazed. They went from confusion to amazement and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Next verse. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? You weren't born where I was born. How do you know my language? How, this is crazy because we come from all over the earth. See, that's the thing. When Pentecost fully comes, God brings the whole world together. It's not a little outbreak over here and an outbreak over here. The fire covers the whole earth. Just as the earth was baptized with water, God's going to cover the earth with his fire. I pray that our generation would be one that sees that. Let's go to the next verse. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. They didn't hear them speaking Babel, they heard them speaking in their own tongues. The wonderful works of God, that's what the Spirit comes to do for us. It causes us to speak of the wonderful works of God. It's not about us, it's not about our culture, all these culture wars, that goes away when the day of Pentecost fully comes because the Spirit gives utterance, not our mind not our experience. We're more accustomed to babble than understanding on one accord. And that's why it confused the multitude. Let's go to the next verse. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. I want you to know, beloved, when the world doesn't understand what God is doing, they come up with mockery, with mockery. They have to have an answer that makes sense to them. That is the opposite. It's the antithesis of faith. Abram, who God started this movement in, believed God so much that he went even when he didn't know where he was going. He went even when he didn't know what he was going to find when he got there. He didn't even know the purpose. God just said, go, and he went. And as he went, God would reveal more and more. He would, he would visit him and open up. Sometimes 25, 15, 25 years would pass. Abraham stayed faithful. He built an altar everywhere he went to communicate with this God. It wasn't the God of his father. It wasn't the God of terror. It wasn't the God of his king. It wasn't any of the, it was now a personal relationship that he came to know, a God in whom he, be, he came to trust. And because of his faith, he undid through his seed 
what Adam did. When the day of Pentecost fully comes, God takes away iniquity. He removes the stuff that has us bound up, that causes us to be at each other's throat, that causes even the church to be divided. On this day of Pentecost, they were all in one place on one accord, and the Bible says, as you continue to read, that they all continued in the apostles' doctrine, having favor with all the people, and God added to the church. But he didn't add all these denominations. We added them because we dwell in Babel. But when the day of Pentecost fully comes, there's going to be a gathering and God is looking for those who will pass the test. I don't know if it's 40 minutes. I don't know if it's 40 days. I don't know if it's 40 years. But the time of testing is upon this generation. And if we pass the test in 10 days, and I don't know if it's 10 minutes. I don't know if it's 10 months. I don't know if it's 10 years. But power will fall upon this generation in such a way that people will see God. They'll see the hand of God moving. People won't point to themselves. They won't lift themselves up. All this idolatry, which is disguised as piety, will fall away when the day of Pentecost fully comes because fire reveals. Fire reveals. Paul said everybody's works will be tried by fire. If it's wood, hay, or stubble, it's going to burn up. But that which is enduring, the fire refines it. There are some things that fire doesn't harm. Fire actually helps to bring out the best. That's what it does to gold. That's why Job said, when he has tried me, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as pure gold. I pray that this generation would come forth as pure gold. Don't jump out of the fire. Let the fire of God purify, and everybody from the whole earth came together. We saw in Genesis that the whole earth was scattered. God gathers the whole earth in a place called Jerusalem, where we read about in Revelation that it's going to be the city of God. When there's a new heaven and a new earth, there's still going to be a city. All this started in a garden, but it's going to end in a city. Adam and Eve were in a garden, but God said there's going to be a new Jerusalem, and he started that process. When Pentecost fully came, they were in Jerusalem, and he brought the whole world together. It said devout men from every nation under heaven. I believe God is about to do something. That's going to bring the world closer together than it's ever been because of the fire of God. When Pentecost fully comes, there's a shift. We're already seeing a shaking. And he, God says, and then again, I will shake again. But this time, I'm going to shake heaven and earth. And when heaven shakes, a sound comes from heaven. Get ready for that sound. We've all experienced for the last 15 months a shaking. And too many people are anxious to run back to where it was when God is trying to shift things, when he's trying to change things. And if we don't get it, 
what he's going to do, because Pentecost is going to fully come, what he's going to do is to shake heaven, to get our attention. I was having a conversation one Saturday in the Narthex with one of the young people, Kean Spady, and he said something that inspired me and gave me hope that God is dealing with the generations that are behind, that are coming up. We were talking about the pandemic through our mask, and he said this. He said, I'm afraid because I don't think we fully get it. God is trying to tell us something, and if we don't get it, he's going to have to shake us up some more. And I thought I was marveling at the insight of this young man. And I see the promise of God, which he's given, he gave to them who were there that day, but there's also a promise to us. Let me wrap this up by going one chapter further in the third chapter of Acts. After Pentecost, after Peter gets up and preaches and says, we're not drunk on wine as you suppose, this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel in the last days. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And the handmaidens, I'm telling you, God was saying to them, you are the sons and daughters who Joel, the prophet Joel spoke about. You are the sons and daughters. To them. But what is the promise for us? And what is our expectation? Because Joel was speaking to a Jewish audience. Peter, in the third chapter, after he healed the man and all those in the synagogue came out, he too spoke to a Jewish audience, but he gave additional insight. Acts 3, 25 and 26 says this. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, it's not to them alone, but to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning every one of you from your iniquities. There's a few things I want to point out. He quotes Abraham, which we read earlier, and says all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. What he did in Jerusalem was the promise to you and your children, but it's not just you. It's for all the families of the earth. God had a plan for all the families, all the nations that were birthed. He didn't leave any of them alone. But those who have the faith of Abraham, that's going to be the holy nation. That's going to be the royal priesthood. That's going to be the peculiar people. That's the one who he calls out. Just as he called Abraham out, he's calling out a people. But what I want you to get is how Peter defines the blessing. God wants us to see this and not to miss it. He said, God sent his servant Jesus to bless you in turning every one of you from your iniquities. 
When Pentecost fully comes, it comes to convert. It comes to change us. It comes to take away the iniquity that was at Babel and to give us a new outlook on life, a new purpose, to give us a value system that's the, the things that are valued in heaven will be valued among the people of God. And the things that sometimes distract us, the things that we understand because of the world we live in, we live in a fallen world, it's natural, but that's why we need the power of God. The folk at Babel had the power of oneness, but they didn't have the influence of God. They didn't have the counsel of God. And God said of his people Israel, they had seasons. And Israel is a type of the church. They had seasons when they did not have the true God and they had no teaching priests. In other words, they have no direction. They don't know what to do in order for my power to come into their life. I'm their God. They're my people. And here's what God wants you to know if you don't hear anything else. Of everything that you see, of all that is created, you and I are his most valued. He places the highest value on you and me, and that's why his blessing is to take iniquity away from us. Those things that bind us, those things that culturally we adapt to. He said, I don't want that in my children. I want to fill them up. I want to fill them up so there's no more room in their life for anything else because nobody's going to love them like I do. The devil comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But when Pentecost fully comes, we have life. And we have it more abundantly. About seven years ago, I was in Europe on business. And I was in Monaco, quaint little monarchy and I was uh, looking around and from my hotel room I could see this harbor with huge yachts I'm talking about huge you would think they were like cruise ships huge and I would go down to the front and in the evening when I was going to dinner there would be all these Italian cars because you know that's in the French Riviera and it borders Italy. So these expensive Italian cars that you couldn't touch for less than a quarter of a million dollars, and these were young people who were driving them. Their parents had immense wealth, wealth all around. And one evening I was going to dinner, uh, we were walking and I, we walked by this casino. People had on tuxedos and gowns. They're wealthy, they don't need the money, but they just need to be seen. They don't gamble because they're trying to, like the poor man who gambles is trying to hit it big. It's a trap for everybody, let me make that clear. But these people were just elitists. They were socialites. And so one day, we're, the next day we're in a bus, we're on a tour and the person, the tour guide says, see that building right there? In that building houses the most expensive apartment in all of Europe. It's 500 million euros. I said, what, come again? 500 million euros for an apartment? I wonder what that looks like. In dollars, because euros have greater value than dollars. It's about 
$700 million. And the biggest yacht over in there belongs to that guy. And everybody was impressed. Wow. Wow. And today, I promise you, this morning, early in the morning, God brought that to my remembrance. And he began to say, those things that impress you and impress those like you, people, are not the things that I'm moved by. He said, you saw all of that wealth. They had everything apparently that they needed, but I wasn't there. I'm not welcome on their yachts. I'm not welcomed in their homes. And I realized this morning that God said, I was there because you went there. I was in you. The, the value that's in you is greater than that apartment. It's greater than all that stuff for sure. That stuff is going to rust. It's going to fade away. Your treasure is in heaven, son. And then he went on to tell me something that blew my mind. And I know it's so because God said so. He said, I want you to think about this. The realtor who did the transaction to sell the most expensive apartment which was not their primary home. This was a secondary or tertiary or something else. That person, if their commission was 5%, they walked away with $25 million. And then I heard the Lord say they walked away sad. They were sad because they saw what that person had. And they realized that this is nothing compared to this. And he says, son, don't you ever compare yourself to anybody because your value and your worth is worth more than all of that. I'm telling you because I made you and I created you again. I formed you again. All that stuff that looks impressive, man made that. The value is in the things that I've made. He said, all that you see is mine. Even the invisible stuff that you don't see. But I want you to tell my people today before you tell their seat that their value and their worth is more than anything that this world can offer. In the eyes of God, his greatest creation is you. But there's an enemy walking about who wants you to think you're trash who wants you to think you're nothing, who wants you to think you don't have enough, who wants you to think that you're poor, who wants to compare you to other folk on social media. I was saddened this week when I listened to the story of Snoop Dogg's daughter who tried to kill herself. And she said, I did it because I didn't measure up. I've been bullied all my life. I don't look good like everybody else. I don't have as much. My daddy is rich, but why am I not rich? She said, my body is in pain all the time. I've got lupus. I'm sick. God, why me? Why me? And she said, then some came to encourage her. And she now realizes that she needs to appreciate her life. And she said, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. 
and now I have a new outlook. I don't compare myself. And there are many of you who have everything that God wants for you and you walk away sad because you're comparing it to what the world has and what the world defines as value. I'm telling you from heaven today, there's nothing more valuable than you. With all your pain, with all your brokenness, you're more valuable than the money that the elitists have. Because they, if they don't have God, they don't have happiness. To be blessed is to be happy. True happiness, true abundant life comes only through Him. The more money you get, the more money you want. The more things you acquire, the more you want. I want you to know that life does not consist of the abundance of one's possessions. And after God finished with me this morning, I was no more impressed with all that stuff because I realized the worth that is in me, the worth that is in you. And when God comes, he wants to fill you up so that you know you're worth, you're worth, you're worth more than rubies. You're worth more than gold. You're worth more than somebody's summer home. You're worth more than anything that this world can offer because God, by his very hand, created you. He put his life in you. He breathed into you. There's no breath in that apartment. There's no breath in that yacht. It looks good. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, it appeals to, but it doesn't last. God loves you. And he told me to tell you that your Pentecost has come today. The Spirit of God has come to arrest you. He's come to consume you. He's come to fill you up. I want you to reach out to those who are standing ready to pray with you. God wants to change your life. He wants you to know that the things that you think about yourself are not the thoughts that he has towards you. The thoughts that he has towards you are good and not evil. God says, I got a future and I have hope in you. I want to put hope in you. I have hope for you, but I want to put it in you to give you a future and expectation that your ladder is going to be greater than your past. He wants you to be satisfied. He wants you to know there's more. Whether you have lots of money or none, there's more. And the more is him. And the 120 who are in the upper room learned that by experience. Because when the tongues as fire fell, they first saw it. And then it sat upon each of them. God sit on each of us. There's enough of you to go around. We don't have to be jealous because what someone else has. What we need is more of you. Come and sit upon each of us. He wants to stay a while. The Spirit doesn't want to come and go. He wants to stay. He wants to sit. And right now, He wants to sit upon you. He wants to sup with you. He's knocking. He's knocking. He's saying, open up. Let me in. I'm not going to break the door down. Let me in. They're committed people who have consecrated themselves. They've consecrated themselves for this very moment. Not to pray for you, but to pray with you. 
that you might receive all that God has for you. Your value is great. I want everybody, I want you to lift your hands and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I realize that I'm not enough until you come. Will you meet me here again? God, you did it for them in Jerusalem. Come to my Jerusalem. Jerusalem is just the place, our primary residence, our primary dwelling place. Come to my Jerusalem right now and sit upon me. Sit upon me. Sit upon my tongue that the utterance that comes out of my mouth would be the utterance of the Spirit that when I speak, it causes gathering. God, take away the Spirit that scatters and restore in your servant the Spirit that gathers. The Spirit that prophetic utterance that builds people up doesn't tear them down. You give us that gift for the edifying of the body of Christ to build us up. God, we need to be built up. We've been torn down. Build us up. When we're weak, you're strong. God, we're praying today that Pentecost would fully come, that every nation, every kindred, and every tribe would experience your presence. Cause it to be so. We've had enough intellect. We've had enough of so-called new revelation. We want to continue in the apostles' doctrine so that same power that they walked in, we can walk in. God, we say it is so. And so it is. In Jesus' name, right where you are, give God a hand clap. clap. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.